Me Better Than Me, the podcast. What's up, Kristen? How are you? What's up? I'm doing well. Excited to be here today because this is an exciting episode, right? I know it is. If you listen to our last season, we had some special guests kind of giving us a body talk, everything Black woman bodies and, and just all the good things that we don't get to necessarily talk about with our doctors or our girlfriends. And today we are, are, are bringing in another all-star studded cast. We have our local gynecology expert, Dr. Richard Jones, joining us once again. And he's going to be giving that expertise, the real talk that he gives all his patients. We also have two dynamic ladies joining us, attorney Dion Cunningham Knowles, who is a boss, Bia Bia. She is just a fabulous person and she just had the cutest little boy. He is almost two years old. And when I tell you that this lady, she is one of my role models, one of my mentors, one of my friends, like she be flying all across the country doing her thing and making motherhood look so graceful with this fresh little boy just out here doing her thing. And then we have another phenomenal lady who is also making a mark out there in Atlanta. We have Chef Erica Dilworth. And she is cooking up more than recipes. She has two gorgeous daughters that I love and adore. And just watching her from afar do her thing, just hearing all the stuff she went through during the pregnancy, because I was there, this is my friend. I wasn't there for the first one, like behind the scenes, but for the second one, I feel like I got like the day-to-day play-by-play on everything that's been going on. And Erica is going to join us in too, to kind of give her perspective, because that's the one thing Kristen and I, we only live our lives. And as you know, we don't have children. We have vaginas. We are, <laughs> you know, we we making our decisions on what we want to do with our vaginas collectively. And it, I just think it's good to have these conversations because as you heard, if you listen to our previous episode, a lot of stuff get lost in the sauce. Like we're all in different seasons. We're going through different stuff. Sometimes we don't even know how to relate to our friends who may be in a different leg of their journey like we don't have any kids like maybe we're saying stuff that's insensitive maybe we're you know doing something or not asking something that we should be asking so we wanted to have kind of like a round two of the body talk but also just make it like a a, a one for all one-stop shop on everything black maternity motherhood after 40 just doing your thing balancing the career balancing the body and you know balancing raising children so that's what we're gonna do today I know that was a lot. Krista, you still here? I ain't put you to sleep. I am definitely still here. So before we even jump into the conversation, we just want to uh, thank everyone that's on this panel with us today for taking time out of their day. As Fallon just read off their credentials, like everyone is busy, especially if you got some chilling, you're busy. And Richard, I know you, you're you a pet father, so I know you're busy just as well. But we just want to thank you guys again for joining this episode. Fallon, one thing, I know you mentioned... Um, you know, these ladies and, and gentlemen being your friend, but there may be some people that are listening that don't have this and they haven't been able to have a dialogue like this. So I think this would be very beneficial for those people that are still trying to find their tribe and may not have the people that they would like to speak to on this particular matter. I agree. And I think that's important because even then, I don't know everything. You don't exactly. know everything. I, I feel like... And it's people out here that you might be on your second or third child and still might not know everything. But sometimes just listening to what someone else has to say or like 
opening up the village a little bit can be helpful for everybody. So I'm excited to, I don't even know what I'm going to start with. Like, I, I'm just excited. I'm going to say, I'll start with Dion. If you could give us a little bit more detail about your bad self um, and let us know <laughs> how you were doing it all with the child. A um, Wow. Well, thank you for, for having me on the show. Um, long time listener. Uh, and no, I don't know everything. I can't tell you in just the almost two years I've been a parent, a mother now that I know everything. Cause I know damn well, I don't. Um, and I've just been very grateful and blessed to have the support of a really, um, wonderful spouse that, um, I've been with. I'm in a relationship with for over 20 years and married to for almost eight years. And we had, you know, time to have a, a serious conversation before we, you know, conceived our child of um, what, what, we, what do we want to be like as parents and how do we want to go about this? Um, and we have a COVID baby, we have a pandemic baby. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, those, pandemic babies are 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 different advanced they they are advanced they are very advanced um and my son is is no exception um but where do you want me to begin i mean um at the very 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 beginning like so we're gonna say this black don't crack so people probably look at your picture and okay how old you are so i am 43 i just turned 43 a couple of months ago Um, I started, I'll go, I'll go a little bit back. Um, the reason why I decided and I made the choice and my husband and I made the choice to have children in our forties, um, was because for me, um, you know, when I growing up, I grew up in a a single family household. Um, my father passed away when I was young, Mm -hmm. but my parents were young parents. They were my sister, I have an older sister, um, seven years older than me. And my mother, um, had my, my sister when she, at the age of 15 and she had me in her, but at, at the age of 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that I wanted to have, you know, at a very young age, I knew that I wanted to be an attorney and I kind of had thought about this path in my career. And, um, you know, I, I knew that it, I wanted to delay having a child um, until my career was established first. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in my twenties, um, you know, I, I had, I made a choice to uh, delay a pregnancy and um, really move forward with getting into law school and, and going down the path of, of trying to, you know, really jumpstart my, my legal career because it had its ebbs and flows and that's a whole another conversation. Okay. Yes. That's a whole another conversation. Um, and then, you know, going through relationship trials and tribulations with my husband and, you know, we were young, we were in our twenties and, you know, we were, you know, figuring out ourselves as individuals, but also figuring out, you know, how do you, you know, deal in a, in a relationship with someone that's in law school or someone that's starting a business. Cause at the time he was starting a business. So we went through all of that. And in the process of going through all that, we, 
you know, really got to know each other as friends. We got to know each other as mates and we decided to get married. We were like, okay, this is our plan. And this is how we want to go about trying to have a child. Now, when I was going to my gynecologist back in my twenties and my thirties, back then my gynecologist was telling me, you need, if you are considering having a child and you're, and you're thinking about having a child when you're older, then you need to get on prenatal vitamins as soon mm. as possible um, and keep and stay on them. And I took that to heart and got on prenatal vitamins. And then um, I started doing a lot of reading about preparing your body and preparing your mind for, for having a child. I went yeah. to therapy because um, I had to deal with some emotional baggage from growing up and and all the stuff that comes with you know different relationships ac- across the time and then I um, I did started doing yoga and really tried to get myself my body and my mind ready for having a child and I did that for years um, and then leading up to us you know we took time after we got married. Um, we were married for only what, six years before we had our son. And we, it took us about a year to conceive our son. We didn't have to do IVF. Um, I was, because I had been taking care of myself and I'm not a heavy drinker. Um, now, you know, I uh, did partake in a few other things, but didn't really drink, um, yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I was really trying to get my body together, and um, we just it, it took us a while. Um, it took me engaging in a whole different lot of fertility apps like Glow and Fertility Friend, and really like I was committed, like making sure that my 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 periods were coming on a regular basis, which they were. And, you know, charting, you know, my, you know, I'm, I mean, we're getting graphic, but charting fluids and all kinds of things, you know, peeing and cups, what seeing when I'm about to be ovulating. And yeah. I mean, it was a science. Yeah, it was a process. It was a science. Yeah. It, I mean, it was a process, me trying to figure out, okay, when's the best day for us to, you know, do the do and, um, and what times and, you know, what, you know, what days were for us. And it, it was, you know, looking back on it, it was um, probably the biggest thing that I've ever done besides, you know, outside of work um, that I've ever really kind of dug in on and focused my mind and my heart, my body wow. on. And, um, you know, it just so happens that we did get pregnant. Um, I there were a few instances where I thought I was pregnant. And it was a false pregnancy. Um, we did not have um, any complications. I didn't have any miscarriages. I realized in my process of becoming a mother and, and conceiving a child is completely different from some of the women that are listening to this. Um, that mm-hmm. are having to go through lots of issues. I did not have to do. I didn't have to. I didn't find out I had fibroids until I was actually pregnant. Um, oh wow! And that actually surprised me, but they were very small. 
Um, mm. So my journey to pregnancy and to conceiving my child, um, although it took a little bit longer than we expected, um, there were just some things that I read about. I even talked to Dr. Jones a few times um, to figure out, you know, if I'm doing everything right, if I'm, you know, going about it the right way, because in my, you know, trying to conceive a child in your forties, there's so many things that come into your mind about, okay, should I have frozen my eggs? No, I didn't freeze my eggs. Um, you know, what else have I done in my life that might be causing me to experience this delay of, of being able to con conceive a child naturally. But for me, um, the delay was probably one of the best things that happened. And it, it turned out fine. My son was healthy and I had a healthy pregnancy. Amen. So, yes. So, so I, you, why are you talking the whole time? I'm taking notes, mind you, because I'm like, okay, let me do this. All right. Take a note. Let me do this. Let me do this. Let me do this. So I know just hearing you talk about it, like it almost makes me get emotional just because I, I saw the journey. But I know it's just like just the idea of waiting. You make it sound so special and people are always talking shit and making you feel so bad for waiting. And people are always want to be inside your womb and stuff. And it's like, oh, well, you're 40. You're trying to do this law school, blah, blah, blah. Like it feels good to hear somebody who actually was able to like look all those stigmas in the face and say F it and do your thing. So thank you so much for sharing that, Dion. Like um, you have got me with a full notepad right now. <laughs> And I, will, I would also like to say, Dion, thank you so much for holding space because I like the fact that you recognize that your experience may not be like some of the listeners that are tuning in experience. And I know everybody's body is different. Everybody's mm -hmm. experience is different. But I do know that, you know, for some people, when they have that strong desire to conceive, um, the thing of comparison comes up, like how did this this happen so quickly for this person, but not for me. And you gave some definite steps that you took, but at the same time, all of our bodies are different and unique. And, you know, whenever it's our time to do whatever, that's, you know, when it will definitely happen. So thank you for holding space for people. Absolutely. Okay. I have so many, um, unfortunately, I have so many women, friends that are trying to conceive right now and I'm holding so much space for them and so much empathy for them because you know that desire to have a child when you is real and it's so real in your heart and I just you know if they are listening they know that I you know I love them and I care for them and I just wish them nothing but the best for them thank you so much Dion Oof. are you gonna start us with the uh emotional uh, journey talk. Now, Erica, I I know that your story is way different from Dion's, but every story is it's somebody that needs to hear it. So I'm gonna pass it on to you, and you drop the tea on welcoming these two beautiful young ladies into the world that you have. Miss on the cusp of forty. Actually, you're gonna be forty. I'm gonna just go ahead and claim this one. 21 days. I'm, yeah, August 1st. We're, I'm basically there. Um, yes. And I'm happy about it. I was, you know, you hear all of these, I don't know, everybody's always making the same way. We not young. I don't care what you say. We are. Um, I love it. But um, I, how do I say it? It was, 
it was an interesting ride because I didn't know if I wanted to have kids, wasn't sure if I was going to have kids, um, was really in tune. My mom had me at 22. Um, she had me overseas in Germany, um, away from her complete village. So that always stuck in my mind in the sense of, well, I'm not doing that, but I actually, and I'll get into this later, actually did the exact same thing uh, stateside. And I'll get into that in a minute. Um, I lived in Atlanta after graduating from, from undergrad from 2006 to 2010. And then I made the move to Houston. And I, while I was there, when I was like 27 then, while I was there, I realized that something wasn't right, but I didn't know what was wrong. Um, and trying to see how do I break this down. I was single when I was in Houston. So of course I'm doing the normal, the normal routine, the annual pap, the checkup, give me the full STD panel because I'm proactive and let's see what's going on. Wasn't expecting anything, but I surely wasn't expecting anyone to tell me that, oh, we need you to come back for, for a biopsy. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Oh, you have abnormal cells. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And then I go back for the biopsy and, you know, I'm pretty upbeat all the time. And this gynecologist tells me, oh, you have cancer. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're so young. We're going to have to do a full hysterectomy on you. And it was like, I'm sorry. I just walked in here and I don't, I don't know you. You don't even go here. Uh, it's like, what do you mean? Like, this is, this is new to me. And I said, well, I'm not going to take your opinion. Let me get another one. Second opinion. It was another one. It's, oh, it's so sad. You're so young. We're going to have to do a full hysterectomy. And I'm like, I don't care what y'all talking about. I'm not doing that. Let's see. I know, um, I know that this isn't, this isn't the end of it all. Like you can't tell me, I don't know if I want to have kids, but you can't tell me I'm not going to have them and just snatch all my um, stuff. Now that's not even right. So I went and had another opinion and by the grace of God, um, she was like, no, we're not doing any of that. Um, let's go run some more tests. Let's check your family history. Do you have a history of cancer? And I'm like, oh yeah, uterine, cervical, ovarian, uh, colon. And she's like, wait, let's do, and Dr. Jones, tell me if I'm saying this right. Is it BRAC analysis? Is that how you say that? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Did that. Um, course runs rampant in my family did more tests they said you know let's check some stuff out cervix looks a little wonky we'll see if you're if you've got any staging or anything there cervix turned out okay to where we didn't have to remove anything after a culpo um and then um had some had some cancerous tissue actually surrounding my uterus so like a cloud if you will so i did a procedure on that and then you know boom um good to go um no more scares after that, um, no more abnormal cells anywhere. But during that process, it was a lot to think about um, from being single, not knowing if I want to have kids to wait, you're telling me I'm basically not going to have any to now I have a gynecologist that's giving me options and saying, hey, worst case scenario, if we do have to do anything, we won't do a full hysterectomy. We'll probably take your cervix, take the tissue around it. But did you know that you can still have babies without that? And I was like, well, tell me more. So I looked into cryo, looked into freezing my eggs, and in the middle of that process, I relocated to Philadelphia um, with the father of my daughters. And in doing so, somebody popped up on the scene a couple of months later, and I never met that baby because I lost that one. I miscarried, so my first pregnancy was a miscarriage. And 
I was so happy when I found out I was pregnant because like I said, I have doctors telling me, you'll never be pregnant. We're going to do a full hysterectomy. It's not going to happen. And my background personally has always been, I'm going to show you, well, let me show you what's really going to happen. So it was like, hi, look, I got a baby. And then when I lost the baby, I couldn't believe it. I was like, well, what's wrong? What's going on? And I'm going super duper fast because in the middle of this, um, in the middle of the treatments, you know, seeing what was going on um, with my body, I, my stomach said, girl, bye, screw you. And it was like, boom, um, you got Crohn's too. Did we not tell you that you had Crohn's your whole life? So I'm having stomach issues after that. Had to pick up Ayurveda medicine because I did not want to be on um, Humira or any other pharmaceutical that could possibly create more issues for me since I just went down the other alley with um, Big C. So I was like, um, what do we do here? So I went to, went to Ayurveda medicine, practiced holistic health, um, taking care of my body fully, uh, mind, body, soul, eating right, um, learning how to give myself time and space to just be a human outside of work. Um, and just learning life balance. So before that baby, I was very serious about, you know, making sure that everything was what it needed to be. So I was so upset when I lost the baby because I was like, well, what did I do wrong? That, that was the main thing. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And seeing, seeing other people that were pregnant during that time, like that was very difficult for me, but I was always raised to count your own money, if you will and not look to that and not be angry and find your peace. And my baby was a twin and I didn't know that. So when I went to, I, when I lost my baby, I woke up with cramping, didn't know what it was, but I felt like something was wrong, felt real faint, but still, you know, I've never been pregnant. So I didn't know what was going on, but instinctively thinking like something is wrong, went to the hospital. And once I felt the cramping at the hospital, they did the, the ultrasound and there was nothing there. And then I was like, well, wait, they said, well, we'll do another one. Cause I was like, well, there has to be something there. I just found out I was pregnant a few weeks ago. I think I was maybe 10 weeks. Um, and when they did it, they said, there's no heartbeat. It was very callous at the hospital that I went to. And that was another thing. I didn't feel like they were very um, respondent to really black women being pregnant at all. Um, and that was in Bucks County outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, that's a whole nother story. So it was like very crass, like, oh, well, you know, there's nothing there. So I said, well, wait, I, I need to go to the restroom. And when I went to the restroom, that's when I lost my baby. So that was like a whole, a whole scene, like, oh my goodness, like we're here. So left, they didn't, and I thought it was very interesting. She didn't check me again after that. I went for another checkup, maybe four weeks later, nothing happened in between that time. There's a heartbeat there's a baby. How's there a baby in there? So <laughs> to this day, I'm like, oh, okay. So there were two babies. So my oldest was a twin and I had, wow. I, yeah. And I had her in um, 2014. I was, what was I? I was 30 when I had her and that pregnancy was very interesting because I learned a lot about my mate during that time and how we differ in so many different ways in terms of what support looks like that I realized that it would probably be me as the majority in terms of leaning, um, leaning inward instead of outward. Because again, my village is not there. My family's not in Pennsylvania. 
Um, my family's in Louisiana and Tennessee and Texas. So um, there was a lot of inner work, a lot of therapy going on, a lot of nesting before they say you nest because I needed to make sure that this house was a home for my baby um, without any external um, any external uh, difficulties from anybody else. So from there, I had her, um, my water broke on the front porch. <laughs> um, during the entire pregnancy, I went to the, I went to the appointments by myself. Um, yeah, went to every ultrasound by myself, um, but made sure that, made sure that that didn't reside within my body while I was carrying her. I didn't want yeah. her to feel, I wanted to do everything I could to make sure that she didn't feel that. So I don't care if I'm laughing as much as I can during the day, dancing as much as I can during the day, yoga, just like Tian mentioned. Um, so many different ways of making sure that wellness was there for her in her bubble, if you will. And yeah, I had that little girl on August 15th and the, the birth was interesting. <laughs> um, had her naturally, but of course, with an epidural, there were some complications during birth where I was, I spiked a fever. I wasn't aware. Um, my epidural didn't take. <laughs> the anesthesiologist couldn't believe that it didn't take, was arguing with the OBGYN that he was great at it and it should have taken. <laughs> so after, after the third attempt of trying my, yes. yes, after the third attempt of trying my epidural, I'm ready to push. My daughter is here. So <laughs> there was no need. I had Bambi legs, but my baby was already here. And from them cleaning her up, they, yeah, it was a mess, Dr. Jones, a hot mess. Mm -hmm. But I had, um, had her, she came out happy, healthy, but in the matter of them cleaning her up, she had a corneal abrasion. Um, mm -hmm. They wanted to tell me that, oh, well, Maybe you had an STD when you had her vaginally and didn't know, and maybe that's why her eye is swollen the next morning. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I've never had an STD. But uh, aside from that, you can check my records. Uh, you can read it to me too, since you want to try to play. But aside from that, check my baby's eye. So they refused right. to do that. Um, so I called, I'd already found a pediatrician prior to having her. So I'd already made an appointment before they even discharged us. And I took her there immediately. Of course, she had what I said she had and she had a corneal abrasion. She scratched her eye or somebody scratched her eye. But um, in doing so, this is, this is from day one, like balls to the wall, I'm trial by fire. There's no blueprint for any of this. And I'm going home and going straight hypervigilant because my baby's eye, like that's all I can think about. Right. By day seven of taking her to the children's hospital every single day to make sure she didn't have any scar tissue on her eye. I'm again, I don't know how this goes. I've never had a baby before. I'm thinking um, it's dead August. It's hot outside. Maybe I'm hot and cold because I'm going inside in and out of hospitals every day. I didn't think I had sepsis, but I did. So by day seven, I woke up and I couldn't see. I woke up and it was like seeing like a bright white light. I couldn't see anything. Like not like I'm going to the tunnel, but I can't see anything. Um, and I was, I called my doctor um, after I went to the bathroom, blinked it out a little bit, put some water in my eyes, sat there for a second. And then my vision came back and I'm like, okay, cause I'm, I'm, I'm holding the walls on the way to the bathroom. Like what's going on here. And I called my doctor. 
I said, something's wrong. And thinking about my baby and her eye, I didn't even think to take my temperature. My temperature was 105. I don't have any pain, not presenting with anything, but she's like, go to the emergency room, something's wrong. Long story short, I was septic from my uterus. I was in choreo during labor. Nobody checked me. Nobody sent me home with any antibiotics. Um, and yeah, I, um, you know, kicked it in the hospital for almost two weeks with little blood clot booties on and a nice cocktail of vancomycin um, to try to keep me here on earth during that time. And oh, yeah. God, Erica, yeah. I'm going to ask you this one question before we go to break and let you finish. Sure. Uh, what color was your doctor? White. Okay, we're Wait, gonna take a break. I got a question too. Wait. I got a question too before we go. Hello. Before we go, and this is this is no disrespect, Eric, at all, but my question is, and I'll tell you what I'm asking. Were you married at the time that you gave birth? We were, we were fully not, married. No, we were not married at the time. We were engaged. The only reason why I ask is because I think about one of my friend's sister, and she had her first child, she wasn't married, but her second child she was. And she always spoke about the difference in treatment. That's the only reason why I asked you that. Oh, yeah. we can get into the part two. We can get into that too. Yeah, we can get into that. Tell you all the things I've seen and heard. Yes, we can get into all of that. <laughs> we can get into that. So, as Fallon would say, we're gonna take a little breaky break to pay the church's bills, and then we'll be back because this conversation is just getting started. Looks like so. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your streaming broadcasts, website, or social media visuals up a notch? Pyro Media Productions is here with the perfect solution. From dynamics, design, and professional headshot shoots to family photo ops, they've got all you need for stunning content creation. Check out pyromediaproductions.com today and add that creative flair. Pyro Media Productions, setting brands ablaze since 2017. All right, guys, we are back. Like I mentioned, the conversation was heated. Everybody was almost in the uproar on the edge of their seats because we got to know what's going on with these doctors looking at us because, A, we're Black women, and B, our marital status as if it matters. So let's get into that. So, Erica, okay, so this was like right before. So she was born. That's right. So baby was actually at the wedding. Y'all were already engaged. You were in the hospital, didn't know what was going on, had questions that weren't answered, got the okie doke basically, and now you're still in the hospital. And I'll, I'll let you start back from there. That's it. In the hospital, blood clap, booties on, you know, hanging out, um, trying to stay alive. Been here like there's no feeling like a feeling like a shitty mom because I was so excited, got my breast pump and everything else. Now my milk's dried all up because of sepsis and vancomycin. And I'm like, my baby, my baby's seven days old. She's not gonna bond with me. She's not gonna know me. This is how this is supposed to go. Like so many things, like feeling like complete shit. Like, well, now what? But just fighting to be here. Um, so went through that, came home. I realized then that I wasn't going back to corporate. Um, there, was, there was no way. Um, after seeing that I definitely didn't have a village during that whole snafu within sepsis land and my baby's got a scratch on her eye land, I said, well, I'm gonna be the village until I can create one. Um, and that's what I did. Everybody um, was living in other places. Your mama was somewhere else, right? Yes, you, she literally, like, yeah, literally by myself. Um, look, one man, one pillow, 
but no, everybody was every was scattered. So in the wind. So my mom would fly up. My, my mom and my and my dad would fly up from time to time to help. But, you know, you would only do so much from afar. And so it was really yeah. just me. And I didn't realize how much trauma that that actually created in me because I was so hypervigilant for so long until I went to visit my friend Patrice and her husband in New Jersey. And within going there, I think I sat in that house for two hours before her husband literally said, Erica, you can put the baby down. Mm. And I was like, what do you, I didn't realize like I was clinging to my baby, like, no, <laughs> the entire time, just like, oh. and I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is a safe space. I can do that. Um, just so accustomed to it, just being purely me. Um, so let's see, segue, where y'all want to go from there? Because we can speed it up from her. I mean, because you did, did it twice. I did do it twice. <laughs> I was like, did it twice, three years later. Um, well, two and a half years later, basically three to me. So they're three years apart. And I had my youngest at, what was I, 33. Well, yeah, I was 33, well, almost 33. And I didn't even know she was in there. We, um, like I said, we were engaged with, with uh, baby number one. He proposed, wanted to get married prior to her being born. I'm like, at, at not doing that. Um, and we got married in 2015. My youngest daughter came on the scene in 2017. So I got pregnant in 2016. I thought that I was having a Crohn's flare up because it's, my stomach seems to have more issues during the summer. I guess the heat, I don't, me and the heat don't get along when, I don't know. Now I didn't have any problems before, but I, um, I thought that's what it was, but no, it was eight weeks pregnant with, with Ava. And it wasn't a normal, I don't think any pregnancy is normal actually. So I'll take that back. This wasn't like the first pregnancy where um, I had morning sickness and, you know, it kind of staved off at the middle of the day, you know, everything is fine, kind of get a breather. This was nonstop. Um, I can't come out of the bathroom. I'm going to live in here. I had to call 911 because I thought, you know, this has got to be a really bad flare up. I can't, I can't keep anything down. And I feel like I don't have any fluids, but it was the extreme morning sickness. And if I'm not saying this right, let me know. I think it's hypermesis gravidarum. Um, I had that. <laughs> and so it was extreme morning sickness where you strips all of everything your body needs. I didn't have any potassium. So here we go again to crash cart land. And I'm like, okay, is this a joke? <laughs> Are we going to keep having crazy moments, but I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. And they asked me, they asked me in the emergency room, oh, um, did you, would, would, did you want to keep your baby? And I was like, that wasn't an option. I didn't say I didn't want to keep my baby. Um, I just said, wow, I thought it was a Crohn's flare up. <laughs> didn't say, oh no, why is she in here? Um, <laughs> just like, surprise, you know, surprise. So, um, they said, well, if we have to choose between you and your baby, we're going to have to choose you in terms of viability because you have no potassium left and we can't, we have to treat you. So I'm talking to my stomach like, okay, hey, I know you in there. I didn't know you were in there, but we both got to get out of here. So I need you to work with me. Let me, let me take some of this fluid that they're giving me. Um, I can't leave here unless you let me eat something. Like I'm talking to my stomach, like I, 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 I got to get out of here. We have to get out of here. So 
after day four, <laughs> I got out. Um, I ate some jello and they let me leave. And the morning sickness didn't stop until probably well off into the second trimester was almost over. So everything was bothering me. I don't care what you sprayed, what you cooked. If it wasn't frozen, I didn't like it. Um, yeah. So from there, the morning sickness went away towards the end of the second trimester. After that, everything was pretty breezy, except for she stayed completely full term to the point to where I didn't know I was in labor. And when I went in to get an induction date, <laughs> which was ironically 420, okay. they said, well, you will probably have her on 95 if you don't go upstairs and have her now because you've been having contractions all the entire time you've been on this monitor. So I had her on 420 of 2017. Um, this time my staff was completely black from the Ruta to the Tuta. I was so happy, nothing but black women from nurses, staff, doctors, um, mm. and I felt like I was safe mm. um, in more ways than one because the gag is I didn't know that I was in choreo with my firstborn until they read it off the charts for me while I was in labor with Ava. Mm. Wait, that you were in what? That I was in choreo. Um, with my first baby, I spiked a fever. I had an infection of my uterus um, and I never knew they wanted to tell, they told me that, oh, you probably wiped wrong. That's what I didn't get to try to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted, they wanted that's, to tell me at my big age. The, uh, uterus and the amniotic fluid and the baby. That's all at the same time. Yeah. And they told Bless me that, they, wow, see, didn't know that. <laughs> they told me that it was, you know, maybe I wiped wrong. So I didn't find out until the beautiful staff at at Penn at the Helen O'Dickens Center. Shout out to y'all for making a girl feel safe. Um, I wish you could see my face. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. Right. And I was holding my breath too. I was holding my breath when you said the staff was black. I was like, please don't let her say nothing else is bad. No, I no, no. It was actually, it was it was the best experience ever. Everybody was I, like, I felt like I was in a room of like cousins and sisters and like auntie. Wow. And it that's was, good. That, yeah, was, that is good. good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad your birthing experience for your second child was good because yes. mine wasn't. <laughs> and but I, I had a black doctor. I had a black gynecologist. See, and My that's goodness. what I was going to say. I was going to say, I like big ups to everybody, but personally, I've had bad experiences with gynecology and black doctors and like the pain for a soul. Eastern medicine has been my thing. Erica, you the one put me on the Ayurveda and all this and just like doctors of uh, Indian descent with like different methodologies and all that. I've had better look, but I ain't, we're not even gonna get into that right now. <laughs> That's a whole nother part of it. Like I feel like we have so much to unpack, but just that little color basis that I had to chime in on that one. But I'm glad that the second time was better also. Now I feel like a pivot, but also not because it's so much we could get into, but I don't want to take away from the doctor. I feel like Richard been holding his breath, probably want to jump in every five seconds and everything right. that Dion and Erica have said. Um, so I do want to give Dr. Jones a chance to, to just chime in if he wants to give us the, the layman terms of what Erica did, because Erica is very yeah. into body she know the medical terms she know all the all the defend his people you gonna defend your people <laughs> oh no i'm gonna read them that's what i'm gonna do <laughs> yeah, okay. well first of all thank you miss Nas, miss Delworth, for sharing your story it really reminds me of 
why I do the work that I do um, and why it's important to me that black women and brown women are treated by black people, mm-hmm. even though they may not be good, but the, the majority of us um, who take care of populations uh, like mine, which is here in Washington, D.C. region, um, and I've been doing this for seven years. My entire career, I've done community health. So I've always worked with the lower socioeconomic status and I've always worked with my people um, because it does make a difference. They're just fine and into little cultural things and cultural competency that white people just don't have and they don't understand about us. Hmm. And like I was telling you all the last, uh, last time I was on here, white medical students are still being taught to this day that their physiology is different based on race. Like they literally think black people have thicker cells and calorie pain, but it's still going to this day. And you have to think that this this affects their care. And now we're in this social media age and this age of access to data and all kinds of false things you can see on the internet or by people get indoctrinated uh, about healthcare and how it relates to people of color. And so it, it's often just a big mess. But let me, I guess, let me start from the beginning as to why um, pregnancy and fertility after the age of 35 is often difficult for women, but especially women of color. So when you are a fetus in the womb, the number of eggs that you will have for your life is already set. It's already determined. And so in the womb, you are, your, your eggs are frozen at a certain stage of development until you um, get older, you become a young girl, and then you start cycling and you're just releasing one egg a month. But you have a reserve of about 20 or 30,000 eggs with this genetic material. Now, unlike men who can produce sperm for the rest of their life, that genetic material that's set in your eggs from you being a fetus will start to age over time. And studies have shown that it's at about the age of 35 that that material starts to uh, degrade and not be as, uh, how can I say, uh, genetically, good as it is when you're younger. So at often times you'll see women either have difficulty getting pregnant or they tend to miscarry a lot, or you have a higher risk of having children with certain chromosomal defects like Down syndrome and Everett syndrome, just, just by age. And your fertility will decrease pretty much exponentially logarithmically after the age of 35, and it goes down even quicker by the age of 40. So one is just getting pregnant. That's a big, 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 uh, Already off the woman after the age of 35, you're starting to go into your perimenopausal stage and ovulating as well. Um, and then if you do get pregnant, your chances of miscarrying are high. And that's not to get that by the time a lot of women reach their late 30s, early 40s, some of the medical conditions that often plague the black community, you all you all can hear me? Mm-hmm. Can you all hear me? Bye? We can hear you. We just over here okay. taking notes, child. Okay. <laughs> So by the time uh, we get to our 30s and early 40s, we start to get our other chronic medical conditions, diabetes, hypertension, thyroid disease, obesity. Uh, We start to deal with the stresses of growing up in America, racism, uh, overt and covert institutional that takes a toll on our lives as young Black professionals. Um, And so... Pregnancy will often either unmask some of those things or exacerbate them. Like you had Crohn's disease, uh, Erica, and pregnancy can exacerbate that and make it even worse. Or by it being an autoimmune disease or condition that you have to deal with chronically for the rest of your life, it can make it difficult to get pregnant. And when you do get pregnant, 
you can often have difficulties like hyperemesis, blood pressure issues. So oftentimes women are really talking by their providers. Um, and we know that being black, when you go to providers who don't look like us, they may not take your needs and your wants seriously. They may not listen to your complaints. They may not listen to your pain. You know, we express pain. We communicate differently with our own people than we may do with Caucasian physicians. And they may not just understand. I mean, you two, uh, Deanna and Erica, are, are successful educated women. You know, Serena Williams went through the same thing with with her pregnancy, where she had a blood clot. Nobody would listen to her. And she almost died in the hospital in labor. It happened to Judge Hatches. Wow. That recent yeah. uh, young lady, the young Olympian, who died. So... Black maternal mortality is still at its highest uh, here in this country. Black women are still three to four times as likely to die from childbirth or even mm-hmm. pregnancy complications than white women. And then that increases exponentially past the age of 35. So getting wow. pregnant is, is the big thing. Then once you're pregnant, you got to get out of the first trimester into the second trimester. So mm-hmm. what happens, that those are very, very high-risk pregnancies. One, you're at a high chance medical complications, particularly hypertension and pregnancy and diabetes. And sometimes you may not even know you have these things until you're pregnant. And when, when they hit you in pregnancy, they can often be deadly. With preeclampsia, seizures, Erica got sepsis. I mean, these are common complications that occur. Um, so just, just getting out of the hospital, carrying your pregnancy to term, being a Black woman, just medically, can be complicated and difficult. It's yeah. a very, very high risk. And then at the same time, you're balancing a career, you're balancing relationships. You know, we're all high functioning, susceptible black people. And we have to carry that weight, that burden on us just in our daily lives. So imagine what you all have to deal with as black and racism from white people, misogyny from our own peers, right. um, abuse, um, neglect in your, in your own community. And you have to deal with that same thing once you get to the medical field. So a lot of we don't, you know, really aren't aware of just the toll that it can take. And then even through the postpartum period, Ooh. you have this new baby, and you know, as you're an attorney, you still work, you're a world-renowned mm-hmm. you got to balance your career. You know, you're not as young as you used to be, things hurt. Recovery, recovery is a difficult process and it becomes very much overwhelming. So just the mental health aspect of having a baby past the age of 35 and then getting past the pregnancy, getting past the postpartum period mm-hmm. is a stress on this suffering for black women. Can and I, you know, can I, can I speak ahead. to that just a little bit? Yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, you, you talk through all everything about what I went through, like, okay, I went, I got through the first trimester. I got through the second trimester. I got through the third trimester. I'm over 40. I was 41 when I was pregnant and um, I was like, okay, I didn't even know I was uh, having contractions and oh, and then they just started coming and, and I got, got to the hospital and I really wanted my experience to, you know, I wanted to see how far my body could go. So I didn't want to have an epidural right away. I wanted to see if I could have my child naturally and my um, gynecologist obstetrician was like, no, um, you should, you know, you should get an, an epidural. You should, you know, get on, um, Pitocin right away. And I was like, no, let me just see what my body can do. Cause this is my first, my first time. Let me just see what I can do. And I was in labor for 19 hours Ooh. without 
an epidural without okay. Pitocin until it got to a point where I was like, okay, let's give me that damn epidural. Let's go. Um, and I hadn't dilated um, any further than what, three and a half centimeters. So, I mean, no, five centimeters. And then when they finally did give, give me all of that and they pumped me with all these different fluids and they had to break my water um, after a few hours after that, I still hadn't dilated. So I had to have a C-section because at some point my heart rate started going down and my son's heart rate started going down. Mm -hmm. And it was only my husband talking to me during that time period, he was he was like, Dion, you're fading out. You're going to sleep. Wake up. Keep breathing. Breathe hard for him. Breathe hard for him. Mm. And I didn't even know what was going on because I was just, you know, I was like, oh, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm going to go to sleep. He was like, no, your heart rate is dropping. And I could hear my heart. My, I could hear my son's heart rate dropping, but I couldn't hear mine. And he was like, no, y'all were both fading out. It was an emergency C-section. But it was a C-section, and they got him out. Um, and then my husband told me I was, you know, I bled a lot. But there was no, I, I, bottom line, I had preeclampsia mm -hmm. during my, um, you know, during delivery, birthing period, what have you. I didn't have any issues during my pregnancy. I didn't have gestational diabetes. I didn't have preeclampsia while I was pregnant, I had a very healthy, low-key pregnancy. Um, and it wasn't until after I had my child, like you were talking about, Dr. Jones, that I had the postpartum issues with dealing with, you know, C-section and, the, you know, being bloated with from fluids and, you know, having high blood pressure and having to get on medicine for the first time for high blood pressure and you know, my limbs were swollen, my ankles were swollen. I just felt just swollen all over. And now you couldn't even tell that I went through any of that. But um, that was just a scary, such a scary time period. And my, like, I, I will point back to my doctor being black, being gynecologist, my gynecologist and obstetrician. And did she check up on me? Did she see how I was doing afterwards? No. Yeah. Um, yeah, and See, I, that, I that's like, I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say like like just saying that story because from the outside looking in, we had no idea, and it's so many people know, that right. silence, or people that's you know thinking that you know, and we really don't be knowing. Like, I've never heard you tell this story before. No, it's the first time I it's the first time I told more? the story. Should I have yeah. been looking or you know making for more yeah. Being on that on the inside, it's like damn, like it's so many people that have these types of stories, just... yeah. Being on the inside, Boy, um, yeah. Being on the inside and, and looking out and just being able to see all the issues you were having, you know, you weren't really given informed consent. The doctors didn't really let you make your choices or educate you about about the things, uh, particularly you all being educated black women who are very, very well aware of your bodies. Um, oftentimes, some of the black physicians, um, I, particularly I've, I've seen this a lot with the African physicians, um, often will treat some of the black Americans just as bad as the white physicians. So not to blame them, but you know, you can't always, you can't always get a good healthcare provider that's black 
but in a center where Richard, you calling them out today because you that's not the first time uh -huh. that, that I've heard that. I know my cousin, he said, uh, and my cousin, she has HIV, and she was just like, Listen, she said, I went to the doctor, she said her bedside manners were the worst. She's like, I would not be yeah. returning. And I was just like, you know, tell me more about her. And that's what she said. She's like, she's an African lady, and she's like, mm -mm. she's like, never again. Yeah, and it's oftentimes just um taking the time to educate and to see assumption that oh because they're black they won't understand or right. if you do advocate for yourself you're seen as being aggressive mm -hmm. and uncooperative and not listening nobody will take the time to explain anything to you because they figure it'll go over your head anyway and there are just even certain little nuances you know i i see white nurses will address the partner as uh, is this the baby daddy um, versus a white, a white person, they won't say that. They'll assume that's the fiance or the husband. Just little things like that, just little cultural things that black people have to face when they go into the hospital in a distrust um, wow. that still exists to this day. And, you know, you're more likely to get certain aggressive treatments being black or experimental treatments versus someone who's white who may get offered more options. Um, and going back and just getting pregnant, the difficulty with getting pregnant with some people over 35, getting access to uh, assisted reproductive technology and fertility treatments, which is often the cash business, is often out of reach for a lot of Black women. One, because their insurance did not cover it, they have Medicaid uh, or um, Medicare, or if they're uninsured at all, they may not get access to those treatments. So just even getting pregnant, one, could be difficult, but making it through the labor period, the pregnancy period, the postpartum period. These are reasons why our Black women still die, because no one is paying attention, no one is explaining things. Uh, no one is looking at the symptoms. Black women present differently than other people with certain symptoms, like preeclampsia or septic. You all don't even know it because no one is telling you this. So this is why it's very, very important that um, good physicians um, of color are out there taking care of our people. This is what I've dedicated my career to for things like this. I've just had so many near misses um, in saving people's lives. And I've seen going back behind white, doc white doctors and seeing incomplete treatment plans or things that are missed that you know can save people's lives. This is why it's important that you all have to advocate for yourselves. But past the age of 35, it's even more difficult just because of the toll that pregnancy takes on your body that it's that it's already been to being here for almost years that nobody discusses. Wow. That advocate for yourself part hit home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is one of those uh edges snatch conversations I feel like where I'm just kind of like what the hell? So <laughs> what I'm taking for this, okay, so what I need to do, one, I need to be taking my prenatal vitamins. Yes. I need to go ahead and pounce on my husband every chance I get. I need to go ahead and just keep the village real strong because it sounds like it's that part is ultra important also. Like it's it's just a lot, but just Richard, if you can just kind of talk more on, I guess. For the listeners who would, I say in my, my position, like, okay, I'm 41. What do I need to be doing right now? Yes. So, one, taking care of your own health. So, uh, outside of taking prenatal vitamins, 
get screened for diabetes, get, get screened for hypertension, uh, get your annual well-edited things that you should be getting done at the age of 35 just for your own health because they will affect um, being able to conceive and then they will affect your pregnancy in the future. And then two, uh, getting established with a good obstetrician gynecologist and really getting a good visit for preconception counseling. A lot of people don't do that. And that's a whole visit. It's a whole visit. That's your insurance because you can go and sit down and talk with your doctor for an hour or two just about all the things we've discussed today that nobody really knows that they have access to. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. That's a whole, that's a whole visit that your insurance will cover. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I didn't know that either. Wait, wait, can you say can you say that again, Richard? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that part. Uh so preconception counseling, kind of like I've been telling you all today, you can do this okay. with your doctor. Uh it's I a whole available visit that your insurance will pay for. Um and then also getting your own body checked out, making sure your cholesterol is good, your blood pressure is good, blood sugar is good, because that will affect your ability to conceive and if you do conceive past a certain age. That will affect how your pregnancy and your postpartum period will go. And even after you give birth, uh, like I said, pregnancy, unmasked things that are already there or exacerbated things that are already there. I've had a lot of women um, who get blood pressure like they all did in their postpartum period, didn't know they had it, but you know, pregnancy exacerbated it. And now they're hypertensive, mm -hmm. they didn't know. So you could have gone, had you not had any children for many, many years and ended up having a heart attack. So, um, Gynecology and women's health often goes hand in hand with primary care. And so I would advise that. Advocate for yourself. Talk to your doctor, research, ask questions, ask intelligent questions. Because they'll look at you like you're black. And once you come up in and start, you know, saying this fact, I read this, 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 and I'll they'll be like, oh, she knows what she's talking about. Okay, well, let me, you know, tell her what she needs to know. And if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't feel right, then that means something's not right. You know, look at reviews, look at ratings, tour the hospital, um, and really get to know your physician because you should be comfortable with them. And I said all my patients, depending on their age, they're either like sisters to me, little cousins, my mothers, my aunties, and my grandmothers. And that's the rapport that you should have. And please see someone who looks like you. It can save your life. I'll take that to heart. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I will definitely take <laughs> I will take that to heart. Now, Erica and Dion, I, I, when when the people, and I've had individual conversations with both of you all. What is it that you all want to say to your friends who don't have kids right now? Because, um, like you said, Dion, that's the first time you revealed that. So, what would be your advice to the people who? maybe don't have kids or maybe in the midst of figuring out if they want to or they don't want to or we in our any any season or travel season whatever what would you both want to say to your friends your childless friend i don't even want to say childless because that sounds bad mm -hmm. your your friends who are not in their physical motherhood era right now i would say enjoy this time honestly i mean i um, enjoy this time. I I waited. I made a choice to wait to have my child, um, and I'm I'm grateful for the time that I had before I had him. You know, we we did the sweet life, we did the trips, we you know did everything. But just be sure 
that when you, if you are contemplating having a child, that this is the right time for you. I knew that it was the right time for me and my husband um, for us to have a child. We talked about it. Um, We felt that this was a good point in our lives emotionally, physically, financially um, to have a child. Um, And I don't regret anything. Um, I don't regret, you know, what happened after, you know, we had John David, my son, and, you know, the, you know, recovering from C-section and, you know, trying to breastfeed and um, breastfeeding. That was a wonderful experience. But then having to wake up in the middle of the night and pumping, I don't regret anything that happened the first year or this, this year going into the second year of his, of his life. Um, I don't, I don't have a fear of missing out because I did what I wanted to do before I had my son and I'm still going to be doing some things, um, soon and traveling up a bit, uh, with, with my son and my, and my family soon too, but just, you know, enjoy this time, but make sure that this, it's what you want. Um, you have a choice on whether or not you want to have children or not. And, you know, I don't judge, um, so enjoy your time, enjoy the AT phase, enjoy the, you know, the, enjoy the trips, enjoy all of it. Just live life to the fullest um, and live it one day at a time. That's all I can, that's really all I can offer. Even during tummy time, Dion? Even during tummy time. All the, even during tummy time, even during the times. Look, I have, I had an easy pregnancy. I have an easy son. Like right now, he is asleep. He will stay asleep for 12 hours. He will wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning. He's a happy baby. I, you know, I'm blessed. There are, are, are a lot of parents that can't say the same, didn't have the experiences I, that I'm, I've had with my son um, with tummy time and sleep time and nap time and all of that. And, you know, it's... It, First time parenting is going pretty well for me right now. So I can't, I don't have any complaints. Now, the com- career and all of that and trying to shift from one job to another while having a baby. And now that's, that's another conversation we can have um, at a later date, how to pivot between different roles and move up in the world while you're, you know, trying to breastfeed and have, you know, an infant along. Um, we can talk about that in a later conversation if you want. Because I don't know if we have enough time for that. That's challenging. Child, I receive it. it. This is one of those where you feel like you need a part two, three, and four. So we do need a part two, part three. I know. Sure, five, six, seven. I know. Yeah, I thought we go on for hours, so. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Erica, what, what would you tell I mean, I would, I would definitely piggyback off of Dion. I mean, really enjoy your time. I mean, my sisters that, that you know, either you don't know if you want to have kids, you want to have kids, wherever you are in your journey, enjoy your journey. Um, I mean that wholeheartedly. Um, I waited until I was 30. I mean, you don't know what pivot, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You don't know how you may need to pivot in life, but get yours while it's just you. And I, I mean that, um, take your trips, enjoy your life, um, change your jobs, follow your dreams. I'm not trying to sound cliche, but I'm serious because I mean, parenting is, 
I would describe motherhood as an ocean. I mean, on the surface, everything looks cute on social media, but I mean, it's it's deep. Um, it's 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 a deep process. There's no playbook. There's no blueprint um, for it. You just know that you want to you want to leave better humans on on this earth than what we're here maybe prior to. That's how I feel about it. I just they're they're my footprint. We're always talking about carbon footprints. This is my human footprint. I want to make sure that this is you know my lasting legacy, my little people, and I want them to be the best little people they can be when they grow up, and that's the goal. But like I said, there's no there's no blueprint for it. Um, don't be so hard on yourselves. Be kind. I say that so often, and I mean that. Be kind to yourselves. Um, do not look at someone else's journey and look at yours like, well, what are we doing here? Or I know that we have really bad habit of comparison, but it is indeed the thief of joy. So yeah. I would just say run your own race, um, live your life and enjoy your life and love on your village and let your village love on you. Because a whole you is better than looking at, and I mean whole is in W-H-O-L-E, rather than walking around thinking that there's something missing and there's an actual whole H-O-L-E in you. And it's not, you're full, you're, you're, you're a person first, you're human first, you're a woman first. Enjoy that. Oof. Kristen, how you feeling? You over there uh, wide-eyed? <laughs> what you doing? No, I'm, I'm not wide-eyed anymore, I think. This was a great conversation. I think that this will spark a lot of dialogue with women um, in regard to their own circles or in regard to speaking with their doctors and finding people um, or finding their voice so that they can advocate on their behalf. Because I know Fallon, you and I were just speaking about, you know, um, being over a certain age and some of these things not being a reality for us. But here we have women on the show that and proving that it's definitely a reality. So mm -hmm. I'm just excited. I'm excited about the conversation. You guys are right. We definitely could have more than one part because, you know, as women, we'd be having a lot going on. It is a lot. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like you're better than me if you aren't leaning on. I feel like I said, is this deja vu? Is this a deja vu moment? Am I being cliche? I feel like you better than me if you're not leaning on the village that you have for the support, for the knowledge, for the questions. You shouldn't shame nobody for not knowing something. Like if you don't tell somebody what you're going through, it's kind of hard for people to guess. And I know it's a, a hard subject, but we are here trying to normalize these conversations. We're trying to normalize these dialogues. I can remember never even until meeting Erica in college, I never even talked about a tampon with nobody. Like nobody, everybody just walked around silent, not even mentioning like having periods and stuff like meeting people and talking to people and feeling comfortable just talking about your body and like what's going on. It's deeper than just like pretty bowls and pictures. Like shit is really real. And it's black women out here dying, dying trying to have kids, dying having them dying by themselves because they don't have a village or scared to talk to somebody or doing it on their own and people not realizing just how heavy of a role you're accomplishing and I'm just glad that like doctors out here like Dr. Jones is out here really changing the narrative and doing the work and I just feel like you better than me if you're not actually sitting down talking to somebody or just feeling like you gotta shun and, and cast people away because you feel like they're not on the same journey as you that's that's whack so I just that's that's my you better than me, Mama. What about you, Kristen? Um, let's see. 
you better than me if you think that this cannot happen for you because I just feel like it can happen for you if you want it and if you believe it and there are so many ways to motherhood which we didn't we didn't discuss you know other alternatives but there are so many ways that if you feel in your heart that you are destined to be a mother it can and it will happen for you and I think again this conversation gave us hope it gave us you know realistic hope but it definitely gave us hope as to what can happen for women or those women that would like to experience motherhood. Oof, that was a word. Oof, that was a that was a real word, Kristen. And let me let me leave a final parting thought too. Um, yes. Again, we are all we are all um, black people of the upper middle class, and we have to know that this journey to motherhood happens to all of us, um, black people, or all of you, black women, regardless of your socioeconomic status. When you make it out, you still have to deal with the same things. Mm -hmm. It's just that you all have better access to stuff. And again, even having uh, better access than uh, some of our uh, Black people who aren't as fortunate, you're still Black at the end of the day, and they still look at us all the same. So this is why it's important to um, really, really advocate for yourself. I'm here advocating for those who don't have a voice, who don't really have a voice. But this is a journey that happens to all of us, regardless of our social media and black people. This is just the state of America. Mm. The state of medicine that we have to work to change. And that's what we're working to do. Okay then, doctor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That was so crazy. But see, don't feel good hearing a doctor say something normal. Don't, don't just make it normal. Thank y'all so, so, so much. Yes, thank do, you. Do Erica, be you better than me, moment? Y'all got a you better than me, moment? Is it involving tummy time? Uh, <laughs> I think this is to my younger, younger self. You better than me. Um, by not drinking tons and tons of water. When I was in my 20s and my 30s, I didn't, I didn't drink any water. But um, water helps with everything. And I swear, that's all I drink now. And I drink before I, the year, year, couple years leading up to having a child, I shifted from drinking juices and all kinds of other stuff to just drinking nothing but sparkling mineral water i don't know if that worked i'm just saying oh i just bought some helped. today yes it <laughs> totally yeah hey, no it bathe in it. Water. yes so it drink tons you better than me if you don't drink a whole bunch of water um when you're trying to conceive that's my one tip that i feel like that helps just in general with everybody's health general health um, drinking tons and tons They're of water, wet. especially in Houston in this heat. So um, drink tons and tons of water. And um, like Erica said, be kind to yourself, um, especially along this journey to motherhood or singlehood or sisterhood or whatever. Be kind to yourself. Yeah. And you better than me if you're not being kind to yourself and enjoying this journey because you only get one. That's right. Amen. Yeah. Period. So, that's it. Love it. Thank y'all so much.
so much again. I'm about to go uh, just pour some mineral water all over me and my husband when, when I get up off of here. But no, seriously, thank y'all so, so much for spending this good hour and change with us. I feel like y'all have taught so many women and just made probably save life. Shoot, just normalizing the conversation. So thank y'all so much. Well, thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of You're Better Than Me. And we look forward to chatting with you again next time. Bye. Bye. Better Than Me is a podcast on Pyromedia Network, produced by Pyromedia Productions. Pyromedia Network and Pyromedia Productions are subsidiaries of Pyromedia Enterprises. For more information, please visit www.pyromedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening, and we will see you on the next.